Welcome to Welcome Heart, Living a Legacy Life podcast. My name is Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of WelcomeHeart.com. What better legacy than to open our hearts to God and open our lives and homes to others? Jesus said, love me, love your neighbor. Sounds like a legacy life to me. Thank you for joining me. Hello, today I get to introduce you to Ruthie Kim, in case you haven't heard from her fellow redhead. So I'm, I was just telling a friend, I think this is going to be a very exuberant conver- <laughs> conversation. And I'm thrilled to have you meet her. She is a pastor as well as a writer, speaker, and executive coach. And we're going to be finding out more about all those aspects of your life, Ruthie. But for now, would you just introduce your family to us a little bit and your ministry, and then we'll get into the legacy questions. Yeah, Sue, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on this call with you. Um, Yes, Ruthie Kim, originally from the UK, born and raised in a small little village in the countryside in England and moved out to San Francisco when I was 18 years old. And uh, yes, I'm sure there's a lot we can get into there, but I met my husband out here. He's Korean American from New Jersey and Mm -hmm. uh, we've been married almost 16 years. I have two boys, 12 and eight, who just keep me on my toes. Yes. And uh, yeah, for, for most of my adult life, I've been involved in inner city ministry, um, eventually forming my own organization, Because Justice Matters, which serves women and girls. And, um, and then right now, I'm kind of just in the middle of a pivot, a transition, uh, stepping away from leading that organization and now moving into executive coaching. So uh, yeah, a whole different season for me. Would you mind just telling a little bit of the story of how you got saved and also how you got to San Francisco of all places. I mean, why didn't you stop in New York on your way over? I know it's, it's crazy. Well, I was, I was raised in a Christian family. So I have one of those very kind of stereotypical gave my life to Jesus when I was five years old kind of stories. Um, I remember it even at five. I remember that moment of just Mm -hmm. deciding like, this is what I, I want for my life. And um, I always joke with my mom because she didn't actually believe me when I told her that I had mm. given my life to Jesus and the privacy of my own bedroom. And, but then she, she said she'd started to notice that I changed the person. And wow. one of the things, yeah, one of the things that started to happen was I used to invite friends over from my neighborhood and I would just preach the gospel to them. And it was just oh, like wow. something that I just started naturally doing. And so eventually she was like, oh, this is, this is for real. And so really had been walking with Jesus my whole life. Um, I, you know, like I said, born, raised in a small village. So definitely that small town kind of feel. Everybody knows everyone. Uh, Family was close by. And uh, honestly, always thought I'd stay close to home. That was Mm. sort of what what my my life would be to some Mm. degree. And then when I was 16, my parents took me to a youth camp with our church. And so it was one of those... um, Christian camps where, you know, all the teenagers go off and they have their speakers and their worship and all of this amazing stuff. And there was a a youth pastor there from Los Angeles. He was the the speaker for the week Hmm. and he was recently saved, but he uh, had this powerful ministry in Los Angeles working at the Dream Center and uh, working with people living on the street and Hmm. the homeless and women in prostitution. And he just started sharing story after story And every story, I just started crying harder and harder. Hmm. And it was just the Holy Spirit was so on me of just like, Ruthie, this is this is what I want for you. This is the call on your life. And I was 16. I walked out of that meeting. I went to my mom and I said, "Um, I feel like God's calling me to move to America. Like, I feel like I'm supposed to go. My mom burst into tears and was like, you need to follow God's call. But obviously, that's a terrifying, terrifying thing to hear from 
from a child. And, and then over the next couple of years, I essentially just like, God, what, what do you have for me? Like, I feel this pull to America. You know, people would laugh at me and make fun of me because it was like, oh, of course you want to go to America and Hollywood <laughs> and, you know, yes. this kind of stuff. But I just knew there was something in me. And um, some friends of ours were part of YWAM, Youth with a Mission, which oh, is an yeah. international missions organization. And my parents actually hosted them. They did a lot of hospitality when I was a child. They hosted them for a meal. And they came into our home and just started talking about their life. And I was like, wait, why, why YWAM is in America? I could, I could go serve with YWAM. And long story short, I wrote to a bunch of places. This was back in the day before email, where I was right. writing handwritten letters to people. And San Francisco, the location where I was was the only only location that wrote me back. Wow. And they sent me this like black and white, crooked, photocopied, like kind of brochure. But I opened it up and I thought, this is what I want to give my life to. Like and, this work. Was it YWAM? It was YWAM. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. they were doing an inner city ministry. So yeah, they've you, had a so, location in San Francisco. So when you told your mom back at 16, you said, not just move to America, mom. I want to work in the inner city. I feel that yeah. call. Because that's a very specific, very scary. It it's scary to me. A scary uh, type of ministry. No wonder she cried. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, for those of us, you know, myself, like raised in a middle class, safe, small community in the heart of England, and you start talking about, I'm going to move to the inner city of San Francisco. I mean, there were people in my life that told me not to come. They were like, for for a number of reasons, it's not safe. You shouldn't go. People told me I had nothing to offer. (gasps) What could you possibly have to offer to someone who's homeless? Like you've lived a great life, you know? And, and that was, that was a hard pill to swallow because there was a part of me that believed that too. There was a part of me that was like, what can I possibly do? But I know that God had spoken to me. He had said, I just want you to love people, Ruthie. Mm -hmm. I just want you to love people. And it sounds very simple. Um, in hindsight, I had to, I had a massive learning curve, you know, there was a lot I had to learn. I had a lot of wrong mindsets and ideas around what I thought I was bringing. And I came to San Francisco and I realized, wow, you know, there's a lot I don't know, but I can love people. I can sit on the street and I can talk to them. I can hear their story. I can serve them. And that, that's really what God called me to. And how did you support yourself? Financially? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. People supported me, my church back home, friends and family, like people just got around me said, we believe in you. We believe in the mission and uh, really invested in the work that I was doing. Yeah. What is one of the things you had to learn? Cause you just said you had a huge learning curve. You already knew that you could love people, but what was something you had to actually have a different mindset about once you learned when you, when you got here? Well, I think I came into that kind of work with a very kind of savior mentality. I thought uh-huh. I'm going to bring something, you know, I'm going to go save the people. I'm going to bring something that they don't already have. And, and, you know, over my many years of working with people living on the streets who have faced all kinds of, you know, exploitation, violence, drugs, whatever it is, they've actually, I think, given me probably more than I've given them. Like I would sit and listen to their stories and I would realize that my perspective on the world was so slim, mm-hmm. was, um, was uninformed about the realities of life. You know, like there was, there was so much they taught me about resilience, what it means to be gracious and, and generous. I, I'll never, remember, never forget a story someone from our ministry shared of a, a woman who was living on the street. I mean, and she was filthy. She was dirty. She had nowhere to sleep but she had a Safeway gift card someone had given to her just as mm-hmm. like, hey, go buy some food. 
And one day some of our team walked past her and uh, they were inviting her to come into our ministry to come receive, come get your nails painted, come let us love you. Like, you know, and, and she said, no, 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 I, I can't possibly come. But she pulled out this Safeway gift card and she handed it to our team and said, but use this for the other women. Wow. And I thought that level of generosity mm. of giving, you know, like those are the kind of things that that community taught me and so much more. Um, and I realized like, wow, this is, I get to come and just be, be in this community with you and not come with a sense of like, I, I know all the answers because I, I didn't and I don't, you know. Did you ever have a homeless person turn you away because they saw you as being too white or too entitled or too in the system or out of the system? I'm not sure what the word means. Um, and did you get offended? I think, you know, there's, there's a range of interactions you can have when you're, you know, reaching people who are facing the kinds of challenges that people are facing, like drugs, homelessness, mental illness. There was great interactions where people were like super welcoming. And there were interactions where people were just like, I, I don't want any part of that. And I think um, there's always the temptation to take it personally, right? Yeah. Like what's wrong with me? Like, did mm -hmm. I do something? And the reality is again, another thing that I learned is like, you know what, maybe they're just having a bad day. Maybe they're just going through some stuff. Mm -hmm. Maybe that 30 years of trauma has made it feel unsafe for them to trust people or welcome people in. So over the years, I learned that it was less about me and, and more about just giving people what they need in that moment. And if, mm -hmm. if that's not what they needed, give them that space, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a gal who is always on the street next to a grocery store close to us. And when I walk the dog, um, she used to pet our dog and everything. And we'd have a little bit, I found out her name. And then one time I just took her a piece of cake and I said, um, here's some cake. She goes, I hate cake. And she was so <laughs> rude. And I thought, okay, then I'm sorry. It's like, and then you're right. You can't take it personally. And you also no, wonder, no. you know, if mental illness from, of course, people have to be mentally ill not to eat my cake. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, she's been hurt and she doesn't sure. want to trust you. And, sure. um, and it had nothing to do with me, but I have not given her cake since that time. But <laughs> That's probably wise. <laughs> probably wise. Yeah, I, I sort of learned my lesson. So from working with YWAM and then you left YWAM and started your own um, ministry called, I love the name, Because Justice Matters. Yeah, so actually it was part of YWAM. We were, oh. we were an organization within YWAM, uh, but I started that in 2008. Mm -hmm. And I did that because in my interactions on the street, working with people, I started to meet women. And what I noticed was that there were some specific challenges that women had that were not being resourced, that were not being met. And I just started to think, okay, how do I, how do I actually connect with women in ways that are meaningful for them? For example, like the kind of level of sexual trauma, abuse that women were facing was, was pretty unique and, and needed a specific response or the fact that they were moms and they had had kids or had kids with them on the street. And so there were all kinds of challenges like that. So I began to notice that. And then around the same time, I actually went through a domestic violence training with a local organization and they had a, a seminar and a workshop one night it was called faith in domestic violence. And it was a, a number of women from faith communities sharing their story of violence, abuse, trauma, and unfortunately, the lack of response from the faith community. Mm -hmm. And I listened to their stories and I, I reflected on my, you know, 30 plus years in the church. And I thought, you know what? I've never heard anyone mention domestic violence from the pulpit. 
I've never heard anyone address this issue. And someone in my group raised their hand and said, I, I'm so fed up with the faith community. Like nobody cares about these women that have been victims of violence. And, and I responded and said, I care. And it kind of fell flat, to be honest with you, it kind of fell flat. Everyone yeah. just kind of looked at me and I thought, wow, it's gotta be more than words. And so I left yeah. that space and I said, you know mm. what, I'm gonna do something. And so I started doing presentations for youth groups and churches around the issue of domestic violence. And I would sell sweatshirts and we raised a bunch of money and we gave it to the shelter. And we said, hey, this is the faith community responding. And that was all I ever intended to do, Sue. I was just like, I'm gonna wow. respond and that'll be it. And then it's kind of snowballed from there. Do you feel like, I see when I first heard that you did this uh, or even since I heard you preach recently, reality. I was up there visiting the girls and uh, I felt that you had, not that you have to tell us this, but that you yourself had suffered domestic violence or some sort of childhood abuse, that that's where your heart was because you spoke with such passion. And, uh, and that's where I thought it came from. But no, it just came from listening to these women's stories. You know, I think I think if you sit down and talk to any woman, there's a level of um, trauma, right? That we can all relate to from just being a woman in the world. And mm -hmm. so I think there's, no, I, I didn't experience childhood abuse in, in that way. Like many of those that I serve, um, I'm passionate about the women their stories, but I also want to say that I don't think, I think there's a lot of places where just any woman can relate to being alive in the world and being a woman and what that means, the kind of trauma, the kind of experiences that you have. I think that's a shared experience that women have, but certainly my experience has not been the same as, uh, same as many of the women that I've worked with. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that because I also had a golden upbringing and, mm -hmm. um, and it can make you um, think that I can really now never help somebody with that, mm. without a shared experience. Yes. Like just yesterday I was sitting in church and you know how God just sits people next to you who need to talk to you or you need to talk mm. to them. And she was even two people down, but we still managed to have a great conversation after church um, about her situation and I could relate to it and I could speak into her life. And that was mm. with such freedom. And she's coming for coffee this Saturday and bringing her dog too, which is good. And, um, and we're, I know we're going to be friends, or at mm. least I know we're going to meet at least one more time. And that's because mm. of my, our shared experience, but I don't have a shared experience with this woman two blocks away who sits there. Well, she used to have a dog, but I think he died. But the fact is it's, it's, it's encouraging for me to hear. And I hope all you listeners also are encouraged that you don't have to be, have the same kind of life yeah. To be able to minister to someone who's down and out or in a different situation. You don't have to be divorced to marry to, to minister to a divorced person because we all have felt lost. We've all felt alone. We've all felt um, exactly. maybe not, not mentally abused necessarily, but we felt less than because that's yeah. the Satan, that's Satan's ploy is to make every man and woman feel less than. And Jesus is our answer to that, but we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So I just want to encourage you, Ruthie, that God led you and, and mm -hmm. you took up, you took up a huge risk. I mean, I don't know anybody else who would, who would do that. 
And uh, <laughs> that's not to build up your pride or anything. That's just how God led you. And, you know, there's a huge difference between hearing God's prompting and actually acting on God's prompting. Mm. And maybe it was because you were young and foolish, 18, but praise <laughs> the Lord for the young and foolish. Cause when I was 15, I told my mom, well, I, I'll be a missionary. I'm just afraid of snakes. And sure enough, there were a couple of times when snakes were very close to me, but uh, you know, it didn't ruin my life. And I was supposed to say uh, yes to God. Anyway, you have um, one of your passions is to help people take risk. Is that, am I reading yeah. that correct? Why is that important to you? It's important to be because I'm really passionate about people's potential. Mm. And that's what kind of gets me out of bed in the morning. And I know that potential is only unlocked outside of our comfort zone. Like we have to get outside of what we can control, what we are comfortable with, what what's familiar to us in order to access that potential. And so taking risks is the way we do that. So yeah, so, I, I love I love encouraging people to do that. So a couple of things, what you just said was the only way to unlock our potential is to get out mm. of our comfort zone. Can you give me an example? Not necessarily your life. Yeah, I mean, I think what tends to happen is we all have these comfort zones, right? We all have these, whether it's physical comfort zones, places where we work, people that we hang out with, comfort zones around who we think we are and who we can be in the world. We tend to hang out in those places. But the thing is, there's so much more inside each one of us that we only discover when we kind of get into that place of growth, get into that place of stretching, get into that place of like, exploring the unknown so we have to move past the comfort if you want to mine everything that's down there you know mm -hmm. and so you know risk taking is how we do that it can be small risks it can be walking up to the lady on the street and offering a piece of cake right mm -hmm. or it can be jumping our plane at 18 years old and flying to san francisco like that risk looks like a whole bunch of different things big ones small ones but when we take a risk, when we get out of what's comfortable, what's familiar and say, you know what, I'm going to go into the unknown and see what's there. Very often what's there is a gift, a mm. talent, a dream, a desire, like something that we've never unearthed before. And so that's why I'm really passionate about helping people take risks. It's not, and it's not always big ones. It really is sometimes small ones. Like, mm -hmm. hey, why don't you have that that conversation why don't you try that new hobby why don't you apply for that job whatever it is because it's there we discover like these parts of ourselves we don't find any other way have you ever had someone that you've coached come back and say well I took that risk and I bombed <laughs> that is a good question um <laughs> I have, I can't think of a, I can't think of someone that's been like, it's bombed. I can certainly think of people and my own life where it's been like, wow, I did that thing. It didn't turn out the way I thought it would. Mm. Like maybe it wasn't as successful. Maybe that person didn't have the great response when I tried that hard conversation. Maybe it wasn't exactly what I desired, but you know what? I learned something from it. I discovered mm. that I'm more resilient than I knew I was. I discovered mm. that I could I could do it on the fly. And mm -hmm. I actually had words to say, like, you know, there's, I think whether it's successful or not, there's always something to learn because it's the journey and not the destination, you know? Yeah. yeah. Right. And sometimes what we learn about ourselves and what we learn about God is what exactly God had in mind when we took the risk, whether or not, uh, exactly. I'm, I mean, I've been to Bob Goff's dream big conference because <laughs> my, my daughter, my oldest daughter said, mom, you need to be doing this. And so I'm sending you. So she spent the $3,200 mm. $3, and sent me. Wow. So really that whole process 
uh, made me feel the best I could ever feel that my daughter would say that about me. But the yeah. dreams I had that I, I didn't really have any, that's why I told her, I don't need to go. But I went and of course, Bob makes you say what your dreams are. So I just made, <laughs> I made some up and, <laughs> and, um, and I'm not doing what I had said but I am in part. And also mm. uh, two years later, I said, guess what, Bob, I'm podcasting. Will you be on my podcast? And he said, yes. And he's wow. proud of me. Not that he can actually remember who I am, but he is so great in doing that. But some people in the Christian community may say, why are you dreaming big? Don't you, aren't you supposed mm. to serve God? And you mm. and I both know that those are not opposite things. Yeah. That God gives us as a, as a human being, they, he gives us desires and he yeah. gives us talents and anything good in us is from him anyway. I, yeah. I, I agree with you, women. Um, I work mainly with women and they just can sit on the curb and say, well, God, I'm not good enough. Therefore, I will not try this. Mm -hmm. I think the truth is, Sue, that God has given each one of us so much more than we realize, mm -hmm. so much more than we realize. And, you know, some people will say to me like, well, Ruthie, you always talk about dreaming big, having faith, going after more. Why not just be content? <laughs> and I think there's this beautiful place that we can exist in of gratitude and expectancy, and they hold hands together. Mm -hmm. And so I am so grateful for the life that I have, the things that God has done in me. And I'm so grateful. And I practice gratitude every day. And I believe that if God says he is who he is, that he is wanting us to partner with him to bring about redemption in the world, then there's always more. There's always more to explore. There's always more to experience. There's always more power and love and generosity. And so why would I just sit back and say, I'm just so grateful. Like, no, God, I'm grateful and I want to partner with you. I'm mm -hmm. grateful and are there any places that you have for me? Like, I always say to people, like, I don't want to leave anything on the table. I don't want to get to heaven and look at this banquet table of goodness and abundance and blessing and provision and dreams and be like, wait, that was all for me? I just didn't believe. I just mm -hmm. didn't know it was possible. Like, I would be so disappointed with that. So I'm just always going after the next thing that God has for me whilst also trying to be present and practicing gratitude. And I think those are, those are disciplines that we have to lean into both directions, you know, right. Right. that's called faith and it's, <laughs> yes. called, and it's called trust and it's accepting what God has given us. And even when we're disappointed in life, because there's lots of people who are listening right now who have felt disappointed in life, and then they carry it over even subconsciously to being disappointed in God. And I love mm -hmm. to speak to Ephesians 3.20. I know you're familiar with it, that now unto him who is mm -hmm. able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That's dreaming big. That's the faith basis yes. of dreaming big. Um, what counsel can you offer the listener who would rather not take a risk for God? Well, I would just say that, you know, if, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. Hmm. If you're not in a situation outside of your control, then you're never going to get to experience the, the miracles, the breakthrough, the only God kind of moments. So hmm. I would just say to people, if you're content with life, if, if you don't want to experience what it's like to see God come through for you and have a crazy mm -hmm. God story, then sure, don't take a risk. But if mm -hmm. you want to experience the God of the Bible, if you want the testimony, if you want the breakthrough, if you want to impact the world, 
then you are going to have to take a risk. You're going to have to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. You're going to have to exercise faith. But the good news is when we do that, God meets us. God mm -hmm. meets us in such powerful, incredible ways that we are never left wanting and thinking, oh, I put more effort in than God did. Like God always over meets us, you know, in his provision and in his breakthrough and all of those things. So I would say, you know, if you, don't, if you want a boring life, don't take risks. But if you mm -hmm. want to live filled with the spirit and seeing God do amazing things, then I definitely think taking risks is the way to go. I heard uh, Bernie May, former director of Wycliffe Bible Translators, speak to a bunch of us young missionaries saying, um, take risks for God. And immediately I thought, but that the bigger risk is not taking risks for God because there is no mm. risk. There is no risk with him. Now I can say that, but to feel it when you're stepping out of the boat, that's scary. But when you step out of the boat, and as you say, God always over meets us. As I look back yeah. on my life, I'm going to be 70 on Wednesday. And I can now say with full assurance, he over meets me. It makes me kind of mm. cry. Now I love yeah. the quote on your website. Don't underestimate hope. Hope mm. is fierce. Women need help, don't they? So many women need yeah. help. It carries us through the night until the morning comes. Um, yeah. tell, tell me a little bit about that quote. That quote was from a sermon I preached a few years ago, and I was preaching about hope. And what I was trying to confront was this idea that sometimes hope feels so powerless. I just hope. I hope something happens. Or sometimes it's embarrassing to admit that we're hoping like, right. mm -hmm. oh, oh, you're 50 and you're still hoping to be married. Oh, that's cute. You know, like, mm -hmm. oh, you're still hoping to have a baby. That's cute. You know, like it can feel kind of like, am I foolish for hoping? Right. And essentially what I was saying in that sermon was like, no, hope is fierce. Mm -hmm. Like hope is what like gets us through the night and says, I, I can live through this. It tethers us to something beyond ourselves and says, kind of tying into that same thing of there is more. I don't exactly know what it looks like, but I'm hoping for it and I'm believing for it. And so that I put that, that, um, that quote on my website because I do believe that as women, we do need to hope. I don't think it's foolish. I don't think it's something we should be ashamed of. I don't think it's something we should be embarrassed when we're hoping for big things and putting our trust in God. Mm -hmm. um, that is so great. That sort of goes into the legacy. And what legacy do you want people to um, know from you, from having loved and lived alongside of you? What kind of le legacy do you want to make sure they know that the life that you're living? Well, I mean, I think we, we've kind of covered it in yes. a roundabout way, but for me, it's mm -hmm. the legacy of unlocking potential. That's mm -hmm. what I get really passionate about. For me, I just want to help people, whether it's my children, my husband, my community, the people that I coach or the women that I serve, I want them to see that every single one of us has more than we think we have. And there are places in us where things like dormant and hidden, like gold to be mined, where it's like, okay, how can I help you unlock that? Because the reality is that we are all locked up in some way, shape or form, <laughs> whether it's fear, whether it's insecurity, like whatever it is, mm -hmm. I want to help people unlock that. I, I think about um, my own pastor, Dave Lomas at Reality San Francisco, he invited me to start preaching at the church when I was in my mid thirties. I had lived about 35 years of my life without any sense that I could preach a sermon. Hmm. I had no desire to even preach a sermon. I'd love to teach in small groups and stuff, but I never 
crossed my mind that I would one day teach regularly in our community. But he saw something in me and said, wow. I, I want to make a way for that to be possible. And I think that's what we're all called to with each other. That's what I love to do is like, I see something in you. I see a, a gift. I see something stirring. I see a, a dream. Like, how can I make a way for you? And so he gave me the pulpit and he gave me his endorsement and he cheered me on. And I've had so many people like that in my life. And we all need people like that because when we're isolated, mm -hmm. we can't see the full picture of who God's called us to be. Mm -hmm. And so it's a joy for me just to, to really dream about having that legacy of like, how do I just unlock potential? How do I help people tap into those hidden places and unlock those dreams. And of course, if you're interested in being coached by Ruthie, just go to her website, ruthiekim.com. Um, what changes did you have to make or obstacles did you need to overcome to make this happen? Your legacy of unlocking potential. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Three, three things that come to mind. Uh, one of them was community. So that sure, that story that I just shared about Dave, I fully believe that, there are parts of us that are only unlocked in community. Wow. I think that we need somebody else on the journey with us. I, we're just designed for community. We're designed for family. And, and so whether that is a coach, whether that is a friend, whether that is a partner, whoever that is, we need someone in our life. And I have, for me personally, I have had to chase that down. Like right now I have my own coach that works with me and she has changed my life. Now she would say, because she's a good change a good coach, she'd say, no, you've changed your life, Ruthie. I've just cheered yeah. you on. But yes. <laughs> she has been an amazing coach because she has challenged me. She's helped me see things. She's stretched me. She's, she's not, not taken my excuses, but she's pressed in so that I can grow and become more of who God designed me to be. It's a community. We need that. And, and that's something I've had to embrace. I, I have a default to doing things by myself. I'm somewhat independent. My mom told me that when I was two years old and that is just kind of my natural default. So I've had to lean into like, okay, I need people. Help mm -hmm. me get unlocked. Help me mm -hmm. with this thing. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing too is, is fear. I've had to deal with fear. Um, I, for a long time, I think I thought, oh, you just get to a place where you don't feel scared anymore, right? You know, and I realized that's not true at all. You just do it scared. You, you do know? it scared, like, yeah. If you, if you want to see those amazing, beautiful mm -hmm. things in your life, you, you just do it scared. And so yeah. um, I think that's one of the things that has been important for me to like address and face in my life. And then the other one was comfort. And for me, the comfort was around control. It was like, I'm really comfortable here in the, in the, the world that I can control, the relationships I know, and God's really had to press in, especially in the last couple of years, like, Ruthie, I want you to release control. I want you to surrender. I want you to trust me. Mm. And it's only then that you're going to be able to unlock your own potential and the potential of others. So I think, I think those three things have been really crucial for me. Wow. So great. Well, my uh, podcast and my, um, well, the theme of my life is God's welcoming heart. So how do you see your mm. life as embodying the welcome heart of God? You know, I think, I think, Sue, I don't know if there's nothing, I don't think there's anything, in my opinion, more inviting, more welcoming than saying to someone, I believe in you. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's what I get to do because I believe in potential and that everybody has it. I get to look at everyone and say, I believe in you. So whether you are a young girl growing up in the inner city, not sure of how she's going to build the life she dreams of, whether you are a woman 
homeless on the street, whether you are a CEO of a tech company mm. leading something, you know, significant here in San Francisco, where you find yourself, I can look at you and say, I believe in you mm. because I believe what God has put in you is good. Mm. And I think that receiving that, being on the receiving end of somebody saying, I believe in you, just immediately dismantles all of like the walls and the distance and make somebody lean in and ask mm. the question, why? Why mm. do you believe in me? What do you see? What's possible? And there you have a moment of connection and an opportunity to show people like God loves you. God's mm. for you. God's put so much good stuff in you. Let me help you see that. Let me help you unpack that. Do you ever coach non-believers? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you just tell them I, God, God loves them and has a wonderful plan for their life. And they go, who's God? <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe that everybody has potential. And so um, I, I just love that process of unlocking that. It doesn't matter who they are. Yeah, of course. Of course. And tell us about the golden retreat. Is this your first yeah. one that you, you planned? Is this your first? This is the first golden retreat. It's not okay. my first retreat. I have done retreats for women in the past, but this is a retreat that I'm hosting in Maui in September. It's called Golden and essentially God started to speak to me last year about what do women need coming out of the pandemic? Like mm. this has been a hard two years. And prior to COVID, we were exhausted. We had too many responsibilities. We were juggling too many things. And now we just had two years of a global pandemic, which has left people anxious and even more exhausted and life feels even more uncertain. Mm. And, and so God was like, Ruthie, I want you to create a space that women can step into a weekend. They can step into where they can experience other people pouring into them. What I find when I talk with women, Sue, and I'm sure you should do as well, they're constantly giving out. They're pouring into their kids, their mm -hmm. spouse, their business, their community. Yep. They're holding all of the things together. Well, who's holding them? Mm -hmm. Like who's creating space exactly. for them, you know? <laughs> and so God was just like, create a space, create a space where women can just come and be held, be experienced the, the community of other women, be poured into. So it's going to be an event that's going to be, you know, there's going to be teaching and worship and pool time. And, you know, breakout sessions and all that good stuff, but really is a space where women can come and experience God and rest and be restored and hopefully launched forward into this next season of their life. Mm. Uh, what's the last day for registration deadline? Oh, that's a great question. Right up until about the second week of September. Oh, okay. So they have, they have yeah. a summer, summer to think about, pray about it and they, uh, they save do, for it. But the, yeah. but the price is going up on July 4th. Okay. So I would say if anyone is interested, get your ticket before July 4th. Totally price going up. Okay. I will leave the links in the show notes, everybody. So don't worry about it. And uh, my last question is everybody here today can receive a beautiful PDF from Ruthie Kim called Living in Pursuit of God, 20 Practices from 20 Years. Tell me a little bit about that because uh, I'll link to that and everybody can run that off for themselves and it's free, right? Yeah, it's on my website. You just join my mailing list and you're going to get that sent right into your email. And essentially what I did is I sat down and I thought, I've been in full-time ministry in San Francisco for 20 years. What have I learned? And I really wrote down in brief to the point um, concise, but I think really robust 20 practices, 20 ways that I have found help me pursue God and live into the life that he's called me to. Mm, I can't wait to see it. I just wrote 70 mm. things I learned in 70 years. Not quite Ooh, as to okay. the point. <laughs> I'll send you a copy on Wednesday. Uh, <laughs> anyway, well, Ruthie, this has been a delight as I knew it would, would be. And everybody can find you at ruthiekim.com. Thanks so much. Thank you, Sue. 
Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.